Hello and welcome to the Truck and Driver podcast. Today I have a special guest with me, Sam Clayton, HGV driving specialist, who's a man who reckons he can save your fleet's money by allowing your drivers to get the very best from all the technology that's involved in modern trucks and a whole lot more. Sam, delighted to have you on the podcast. This has been quite a long time coming. Glad to finally get it arranged and get you on here. Yeah, thanks, Dougie. Thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, we're finally... Uh got it together so um yeah great to be here now you have got a long history with trucks um dating back you you've got quite an involvement with scania going back because you used to work for kel truck i believe yeah that's right uh, yeah. 2006 2008 uh, uh, so tell tell us about um your history with trucks how did you um, get into them and how did you kind of evolve to the point that where you are now uh, I grew up um, uh, loving trucks from a really young age, so always. Uh, my dad used to do quite a lot of mileage, and we used to travel with him, so uh, always looking, always uh, paying attention. I even used to buy truck and driver when I was really young and, and never read them, just for the pictures. And that <laughs> just evolved over time. Um, and then uh, just over 20 years ago, got my, my license, my class one. Uh, started... Uh, with um, boots on a bivy contract, which is really good. Um, did some removals and they went into serious haulage, if that's how I can put it, with uh, containers. Uh, got my own um, EC11, 1998, 385. So learned a lot with that truck. That was brilliant. I mean, there, were be- there was better kit on the road, some would say, but uh, I loved it. Lots of space. Um, learned a lot. Uh, and my boss at the time spotted another driver um, who was around my age. We got on. He had a, a great deal more experience. And he sort of got us similar boxes from similar ports to go around the country. And we sort of um, drove in convoy with CBs. Uh, I learned a lot of him um, and moved through, uh, you know, uh, containers. Um, and then we moved in. Uh, so my partner at the time, um, moved to Nottingham. So when I moved up there, there was a job with Keltruck. So I ideally wanted to get into the sales team part of it because of there was a, it was an exciting time in 2005, six, there was a lot going on with Scania and other trucks. Uh, so I joined the sales team as a, it was um, a, a sales support coordinator. Um, and during my time there, I realized quickly that the handover was something that was um, lacking in detail. Uh, people were basically given the keys, you know, just a few pointers and off they go. So I developed that as a package uh, where I'd go with as many of the salesmen as, as I could and get the drivers familiar with the product. Uh, and then that developed into a driver training package where they farmed me out to various companies to troubleshoot where um, the vehicles weren't getting the, um, they weren't getting the, uh, the best performance on the vehicle. And uh, then I moved into the sales team of Scania um uh, that was in south yorkshire actually running out of the sheffield depot so i'd seen it from both sides of the fence if that's the way you can look at it um and really enjoyed that that was excellent and then uh due to relocation um and personal circumstances moved back down south and then i went into transport management and then um, again saw it from another another angle the haulage industry um which was really good really enjoyed it um got into uh, in the end, I got into Amazon Logistics running the depot in Banbury. And then I just saw an opportunity because, as you'll know, once you start driving, you get into the haulage industry, you never leave it. It's always in your blood. And I knew that at some point I would get back into driver training. So uh, three years ago, um, set up my own business and um, gave myself six to nine months, 
getting back up to speed with the vehicles because I've always driven, even with them, mm-hmm. all the jobs I've had away from driving. I've always worked for either friends who've got agencies or um, who have haulage companies. Mm-hmm. And um, funny enough, my first, so I did quite a lot of work for Scania in the end, um, helped the next gen launch um, in Millbrook. So did quite a bit of work on that. Uh, really enjoyed that with Mark Agnew and the team. Um, set up on my own. And as I, as I alluded to a moment ago, my first booking that I had was on the Monday after the Friday that uh, lockdown started in March 2020. So it's been a bit frustrating. Um, I've had to mm. sit on it, but it's been good. I've been developing my skills with uh, different companies. So I've done a lot of different driving to agencies. And now I'm at the point where I'm taking bookings and my business is starting to open up and I'm starting to get back into the industry as a driver trainer. Fantastic. That's a really varied career going from being an owner operator through truck sales, transport management, and now coming out the other other side with the the driver training as well. Because like you say, trucks have changed an awful lot over the years. When when automatic gearboxes first came in, the, the point was that they were very, very simple that all you had to do was just press the throttle and they would go, and it took a lot of the stuff away from the driver. But now as the trucks have evolved on, they've become increasingly complicated. And if you're only just pushing the throttle to make it go, you're never close to getting the best out of the truck. And fleets can see that. I think there's a bit of an acceptance in fleets that that's just what they do. That's just... You know, that's what the fleet does. We've got our good drivers, we've got our bad drivers, we've got the guys somewhere in the middle, and there's not really a lot that we can do to influence it. But, of course, we know that that's not true. Um, but, of course, you have to get people on board as well um, to get them on side with, um, you know, we can, get, we can get the best out of these vehicles. And it's become increasingly important with the um, increase in the cost of fuel as well. Fuel's gone through the roof. Um, and of course, anybody who knows what the margins are like in haulage, they are way for thin. There's no wiggle room. So when fuel goes up, you really don't have anywhere to go. Um, so it's it's increasingly important to try and get the, the best out of trucks. Uh, so, I mean, you say as well that you've been doing a lot of driving with various companies. So you've been getting out and about and driving all these various different trucks as well, because it's important. I used to find when I was freelance and with trucking driver that it's important to drive all the different trucks as well because they're all completely different in what they do. Um, it's a different way of getting the best out of Renault as opposed to a Scania to a Volvo. There's a whole sequence of buttons and what you need to do to, to get it to operate. Absolutely. Yes, yeah, I, I agree um, 100%. It's, it, going back to what you said about the um, the hauliers, yeah, it is, it's, it's tough for them because they need to get bums on seats. And as we know, the, the shortage is causing a lot of problems. And once you have those drivers in there, um, uh, a lot worried about um, uh, keeping them there and they will just um, let them exist behind the wheel without the necessary training. And it, it's understandable and uh, it's, it, it does have to change. Um, and as you said, getting people on board is difficult because I think also driver training to a certain degree has a bit of a bad name. You know, um, a lot of drivers have experience and I find it when I first get in with drivers, they're expecting me to have a clipboard to bark a few orders um, and then to sit down and do nothing for the rest of the day just so that they can get their uh, paycheck, get signed off and disappear. So, you know, I've got to prove to them that this product is um, uh, is viable, um, it, it's tested, and uh, it actually does get the best out of the um, the vehicle and the driver. You know, it's a, 
it, it's it's a day's training. You 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 have to change the mindset as well as the um, uh, their physical use of the vehicle, because as you said, there's a lot of variations between the vehicles, and um, drivers are naturally. I find like to rush around and push and really um, uh, race to get to their destination. Um, I think that's born out of habit and also a belief that um, there's a lot of pressure on them and you have to change that as well. So there's the psychology behind the wheel. And I, you know, it, it's, it, it, it's a day's training you see, and it's um, uh, you have to um, sit tight with them, see what they're doing, see where they're going. Um, and you know, you get a, a whole variety, but like you said, I have to know what I'm doing and I have to be able to prove that I'm not um, doing this from having read a book or watched YouTube videos. Um, they need to understand that I know, uh, um, I know my stuff from experience. I know my stuff from um, wanting to be an expert in this field because it's a, you know, it, it is a threat to them when they first have me in the vehicle, they find as they, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm coming in criticizing them. Uh, and, and generally, you know, most of them are fantastic drivers. They have great craft. They know their vehicle. They, um, you know, they're, they're reversing it into all sorts of places and there's, there's never a criticism about that. So it's convincing them that this is a small but significant part of their driving that is um, uh, having light shone on it. Mm -hmm. I, I think, um... <clears throat> Because technology has uh, increased an awful lot with Euro 6. And um, speaking to um, some haulers, it, um, it, it's difficult to when you get trucks in just to get any sort of handover on them at all. You can take away, say, a tipper. You might remove a, a tipper with a manual gearbox. It goes away and it gets replaced now with an automatic. So you've now got a truck that comes in. It's got an automatic gearbox. It might have predictive cruise control in it. It might have a retarder or a much more powerful engine brake on it, which is an important part of how you operate the vehicle. And if people haven't been told, sort of just have it to explain to them, you know, th these are the things you need to do to get the best from it, then you're never necessarily going to know. And I would imagine you would probably get, you'll get drivers who are genuinely curious, like, yeah, I would love to find out what, um, what to do to get the best out of this vehicle. And you would also get guys yeah. that are like, you get guys that, no, I, I don't, I'm not using the retarder. Why would I want to use that? And I have actually seen that. People are like, no, I'm not using that. Why would I want to use that? And it's like, well, yes. you know, it saves you, it saves you in fuel and brakes. It's saving, but modern engine brakes are incredibly powerful as well. Like that MX engine brake in a DAF will stop you dead on its nose. Uh, but you need to know how to you need to know how to get the best out of it, and it's easier that I'm driving these trucks all a variety of stuff all the time. So I always kind of make it uh, make it my uh, mission to go and find out what's going on with them and what I'm supposed to do to drive the thing correctly. Um, yes. But it's not it's not easy um, if you're if you're just handed uh, something and say right there there you go. Um, so no, I, I mean. I you, you know, you see on social media, you see, um, uh, especially some of the older uh, generation, and I understand their comments to a degree when they say, oh, well, drivers just um, squirt and go, that's it. You know, I used to like the involvement of a manual gearbox, but there is a lot more involvement in the way you do drive uh, the modern HGV. I mean, they are complex and they're designed to be driven in a particular way, hence what I'm doing. And there is involvement, there's anticipation, prediction, um, there is challenging yourself. You have the telematics uh, in the cab on most now. Some still don't have it, but the business that runs the vehicle, they have the opportunity to download the information and put it up for the driver. And I, that's very healthy to challenge themselves and challenge between the drivers. 
I did a very, uh, I did a lot of drivers for a particular company that um, uh, do uh, 10 bags of product around the country. And they were great, um, very competitive. Uh, you know, they'd come, they'd come over to the person I was training at the day and say, oh, what you got, where you up to? And I'm still in touch with some of them and they're still sharing scores with me on the Scania um, driver assist. So the, the, it's, it's just engaging the driver in understanding that the vehicle, when it is driven that way, one is better for economy. Like you said, you know, the consumables and uh, brakes, discs and pads um, uh, are used so much less when you're correctly using the exhaust brake or the retarder. But also the fuel economy that will soar when you um, change your driving style. But also it's a more relaxed style behind the wheel mm-hmm. when you do time trial tests with drivers. And the perception is they're, you know, they're miles ahead, way, way ahead. And you do a time trial and the difference is a matter of minutes, sometimes seconds over a two hour drive. Um, just because they they feel as though they're slow and uh, they're not getting anywhere when they're driving the vehicle correctly. Hence the psychology mm-hmm. behind the training as well. Yeah, as with modern trucks, it's a new driving style because less than a generation ago, it was all about full throttle, top of the up to the top of the green band, change up, and away you go again. It's constantly about full throttle, and I think. With, with manual gearboxes, you did have to have a certain amount of anticipation and you were focused more on what you were doing. With automatics, it's taking that away again and it's a matter of kind of getting that back um, because you do, yes. with automatics, there can be a habit of just not paying attention so much and just dealing with what's in front of you, right directly in front of you instead of looking ahead and anticipating. Um, and it's, it, it's trying to get that kind of new... Uh, new way of thinking and, and into things. Um, I, it's, um, I, but it's never really been sort of um, investigated um, or, or looked at in any sort of a, a deep sort of level for drivers. I don't. I don't think. No, I agree, and um, they're not to blame when they're. Um, you know, as I said, their craft of the vehicle is superb, mm-hmm. and if they're away all week, you know, they have to manage that. It's their office, it's their home, mm-hmm. and I often, you know, I and nearly always get into a very smart, very tidy truck. The amount of times I get in there and I have to take my boots off, or I have to mm-hmm. uh, um, actually mm-hmm. put a, they've, they've got something that I can put my feet on because they're, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they there's pride in the vehicle. But yeah, it's just an extra string to their bow. Um, and it's something I'm looking at also with um, uh, drivers as individuals is, you know, mm-hmm. making them more marketable uh, yeah. with this training under their um, under their belt. But as you said, uh, and uh, as, as I've been doing, it's um, it, it's interesting knowing the different vehicles, the um, different disciplines. I've done quite a bit of tipper work um, last year. I did uh, five months straight either on eight befores, Arctic tippers or on um, cement bulkers. And that's really interesting, that is, when you jump in somebody else's lorry and you look at the settings, look at the MPG and look at the trip computer. And then I finished the day, uh, productivity the same. And you're looking on the tipper, tipper guys, 20, 25% fuel difference. And um, because they truly believe that, uh, um, uh, that um, rushing and racing, and they have that reputation. And they'll get up in the morning, they'll leave the same time as me, and they'll come flying past, racing all the way around to get to a site that doesn't open for half an hour. And you think, well, yeah. <laughs> I've done something later. Yeah. I've done a lot, a lot of work myself either. There's a kind of reputation for going kind of uh, flat out, flat out everywhere on tippers. Uh, and a lot of tipper companies are very old fashioned as well. 
You know, there's not a, yes. uh, there's not much of a culture of looking into what these vehicles are. There's a lot of a resistance to automatic gearboxes that have only just... I mean, automatics have only just met the standards, I think, of manuals at Euro 6. I think anything previous to sort of Euro 6D in a lot of ways isn't as good as a manual on tipper work, but now it is. They've just got the, they've just got over the threshold now with the latest um, OptiCruise, the latest iShift and so on, but it, it is genuinely... Um, as good and you're not going to have any problems running into soft terrain or mud or anything like that but it is interesting when I get in other lorries as well and I look at the score the driver's score I've got into Scania's before and it's like a driver's score of like 19% was on it and I'm like how's that even I'm like how's that even possible if you're not even trying you should be around sort of 50% without making sort of any effort at all Um, but I guess it's, it's important it's important with telematics as it comes in. We have found that companies get telematics sold into them, and the telemat the people that are selling the telematics don't know what it does, pr- and they don't know how to use it properly. It's important that telematics is not used as a stick to beat the driver with. It should be used as a carrot to Absolutely. encourage good performance. And you need to also be able to interpret people's driving scores differently because depending on what people do, you can't look at MPG as the be all and end all because you'll have guys because of what they do, are never going to get particularly good MPG. And you'll get guys who are on different work who will go, oh, look at that, wow, you're getting into double figures. But you need to look at everybody individually uh, and assess them in a different way. Because if you only use fuel economy as the be-all and end-all, then you'll get guys that are never going to be able to achieve that. So you have to reward them, I think, on an individual case-by-case, which means you need, as a haulier, you need to be able to understand and read your telematics to say this guy's this guy's only getting seven and a half miles a gallon, but look at the work he's doing. He's shunting back and forth every day, so he is actually getting a good result. Uh, and I think there's yes. a big there needs to be a big push from telematic uh, operators so companies can use it correctly because we've we've had horror stories over the last year whereby they get the drivers getting phoned up and saying, "Excuse me, why is your rev counter? Why are you going into the blue band?" Why are you doing that? Is that because I'm, is it because I'm using um, the engine brake to its full extent? You know, but so, well, don't do it, please. We don't want that. That's bad. And it's like, why is it bad? Oh, because it is. And honestly, the, the, the stories that you get coming in, it's because people have been sold a product that they don't know what to do with it, which relates back yes. to telematics, which relates back again to the truck itself. So, you know, I've heard of it. <laughs> I, that's, I've I've not heard that, but I can imagine it being the case. And um, I have heard of a national parcel delivery service where the manager, um, the national fleet manager, um, sent a directive out for no exhaust brakes to be used because it revs the engine too high. Similar yeah. thing. So same just, thing. Yeah, exactly the same. Yeah. yeah it, and and this is one of the challenges I have. It's two things. It's one is you know that you get people saying I haven't got the staff and I haven't got the time to do this, but with the savings that are made through the um, uh, drivers being aware of their performance behind the wheel you can pay somebody and it's only a couple of hours a week where they just download put the paperwork out put it out and then you get people saying well it's not fair data protection you're beating the drivers with a stick as you said but something that's always worth considering is it's a um it's um rather than um best mpg in the fleet it's best improvement per driver Mm -hmm. as well that's the way of looking at it you know how have they performed afterwards Mm -hmm. um and, and something I've done with the major manufacturers where they would take, it, it was frustrating because they would take a, um, go to, I would go to a company, they'd fuel a vehicle up, load it, and then I would do a route in the morning and do the same route in the afternoon. So you're burning diesel for nothing. 
you're taking a vehicle off the road, you're paying a driver for doing um, nothing. So it's a non-revenue day. So that's something that I've changed with what I do. However, I don't have tangible results at the end of the day uh, because um, we've done a route where we tend to just drive out and drive back. You know, we, we plan different types of routes, uh, different types of roads during the route, but uh, it's um, uh, what happens over the next few weeks because a lot of um, driver training results often dissipate over a few days. And, you know, the driver will, will do well for a week and then fall back into old habits. But like we've been discussing, the way that the vehicles are now is that they're designed to be driven like this. And the drivers soon understand that what they've been taught is actually the only way to drive the vehicles. It's how they're designed. But it, it's, it's part of, you know, I have slides and I don't just say use the exhaust brake here or I don't. It's, it's, I, I install an understanding of the reasons for it all. Because I didn't wake up one morning and have this um, um, uh, skill to drive a vehicle in this way. It's taken a long, long time. It started in 2005 with Caltruck. So, you know, it's, um, uh, it's something that I want to share with people. Um, but as you said, when you're getting in the vehicle with the scores of 19%, this is, it, it does beg a belief, but you know, on the back of that, although the MPG might not be good and they're um, not driving in sync with what the computer on board is expecting, the vehicle will be immaculate, it'll be tidy, there'll be no marks on it, you know. So the most important thing is that the vehicle goes out in the morning and comes back safe, it comes back in good condition, and this is just something on top for them to to learn. And, you know, it's good talking to some of the drivers about the vehicles they've come out of and the experience they've had and what they've been in, because, uh, you know, we've all been there and we've all um, come from, I mean, you know, you've probably had um, experience of manual gearboxes and, you know, um, you're doing nights away at the moment. I haven't done them for a couple of years, but uh, even now, you know, the, the, the level of comfort that drivers have is terrific compared to before. So when I'm talking to some of the older drivers about what they used to do, you know, like standing up to turn the wheel, going through a <laughs> tight corner in a, in a town and think, well, it's a life I never experienced. Mm -hmm. I, I think yeah, I think with with the increased levels of refinement and comfort and the ease of use, it can make you regress into a, a certain kind of bad habits whereby you're not get you're you're never ever getting the best out of the truck. Um, there, there's a lot of trucks now come with predictive cruise control and adaptive cruise control, and I will guarantee you, ninety percent of guys driving for big fleets will never have had any of this explained to them as to no, what it does absolutely. and the advantages of it. I was speaking to a friend last night about adaptive cruise control, and I love it. Um, I, I'll leave it switched on all the time, and I, I'm that used to it now that I never have the issue. They're like, oh, you get stuck behind a Tesco truck, and then everybody overtakes you. But you get that used to it. That it, it, um, I know when I'm coming up behind something anyway, so I know to cover the throttle to draw me up closer to something to get past it temporarily. Excellent, um, yeah, yeah. And it's, um, it, it's, you've got the powerful exhaust brake, like we said, and we've also got... The, the cruise and there's also vastly improved eco roll modes as well with the new scania that's just coming out if you tap the throttle at any point it will put it in eco roll so if you're going down sort of undulating a and b roads and things you can continually activate eco roll at any point just by tapping yep. the throttle so you can get enormous mm -hmm. runs of that truck where it's just rolling under its own momentum and that's a really good detail but it's only just been introduced in the latest version of the truck along with some improved technologies with the new gearbox 
but it's just with the handover, it's impossible to get this information out to drivers all that that easily. You just get handed the keys most of the time. One of the worst culprits is the Renault Range T, which has got the buttons for the cruise control on the back of the steering wheel, and nobody oh, yes, tells you yeah. nobody tells you that they're there. And I've I've spoke to guys who are like, this truck's a pain in the so I've got to drive it with my foot flat and throttle all the night because I don't know where the cruise is. And how would you know oh, that the buttons are on yeah. the back of the wheel? I mean, the Renault actually does have a really good cruise control system whereby they want you to program two different cruise modes, which is like one's like 30 miles an hour, one's 50 miles an hour. And you basically okay. dri- you basically drive it off the steering wheel. They don't want you to use the pedals. So you're knocking it down so you can you can use the cruise to sit at 30 through the urban zones. Once you get out on the roads, you knock it at 50 miles an hour. So you're constantly driving it off the steering wheel. But somebody from Renault really has to tell you that. And with what I do, Correct, I'm, yeah. I'm, in con- I'm in contact with the people, the driver trainers and everything like that. So I know these things. But if you get handed one, then you're, you're kind of into a complete unknown. You notice with Renaults as well that they can, when you overtake them, if the speedometer is in kilometers an hour on the dash, because you have to go into settings to change that to miles an hour. And yes, yeah. I'm like, how, how many people know exactly what, what kilometers transfer into miles an hour? Because if it, what's thirty miles an hour in kilometers? I don't know off the top of my head. It should really no. have a it should really have a dual display on it with that. But I mean, yes. there are, every every truck is different, and it's all got a different. The MAN's got this central scrolling wheel like in a BMW to get into all the menus, and the Mercedes has got two digital screens in it. And if you're a cab hopper as well, because not everybody yeah. not everybody's got their own truck, so you get guys no, no. in fleets. Now, think about these guys as well, who've got to jump into different trucks every night. You maybe got an MAN, a Mercedes, or a Renault, different nights of the week. So you're now then expected to know how to work these trucks to the best of your ability. And there's not a lot done with that, because hauliers are just too, um, too... completely buried in the business of getting the work done because everybody's really busy. Nobody's got enough drivers. Everything's flat out, go, go, go all the time. So there's a lot of, we've not, we've not got time for that. We don't have time no. to go and spend mucking about with that. But well, the pressure, the pressure's <laughs> on to get out the door, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's off you go and they want to, you know, so then the inferred um, uh, um, message is um, find out how the truck works as you drive which is obviously dangerous. You know, we don't want drivers fiddling around. I mean, I'm, I've got my private pilot's license and I, um, I went to America to get it and uh, we had our cross country and it was, um, you had to fly to two different airports and get signatures to prove you'd done it. And one stint was three hours long. And this old fella came in and he was teaching about it. He just said, listen, Gary says, when you actually, uh, excuse the accent, he said, when you're up there, he says, you, he says, you're going to get bored. He says, your eyes are going to wander across the binnacle. And he says, listen, don't play with stuff at 6,000 feet. He said, if you see a button, he said, if it's red or it's dusty, don't touch it. And it's true because you're up there and you're looking and you're thinking, what's that? But And that's what mm-hmm. a lot of drivers will do. And they're tempted to press that button. And if they don't know what it means, it's unlikely to cause damage, but you never know. So a retrospective handover is part of what I do is part of the day. You know, I watch them do stuff. And the amount of I learn every time I'm out with a driver. Uh, the amount of things I've learned, you know, um, with ratchet straps, with um, uh, chains, uh, just just little tips, little things. And um, hopefully they come away with stuff from me, but they're not learning it as they're driving down the road. Um, and like you're saying, something that's changed, going back to what you said about cruise control, I like that system with Renault. And I like the fact that 
the manufacturers now are not because resume used to mean it used to just almost go into kick down and it would boot up to speed and it was mm-hmm. terribly inefficient but now the resume on it on hgvs is, is much more leisurely and, and glides yeah, it, you up to speed it should do the, the, the resume if you hit the resume button it should be the most efficient way to bring the vehicle back up to its cruising speed like you said, yeah, right. yeah. Before it would go to full throttle before and get itself there as quickly as it possibly could, if you if you were using resume. Um, yes. <laughs> but like you say, there is there is a. I mean, I'm quite because of my nature and what I've been doing, driving a lot of different trucks. When I get in something I've not driven, I will make it my mission to go and find out things about trucks. But there's there's always a lot of things that I don't know. Um, when I speak to Bob Beach, who's an encyclopedia of knowledge about trucks, you know, he's 65. He's yes. been dry, He's been driving since the days of the 141, and the, um, uh, really when trucks had like zero technology and whatsoever. Yeah. And he's always telling me, uh, he's always giving me tips because Bob will get the owner's manual out the truck, which is always yeah. about an inch thick. And it's yeah, got everything yeah. you need to know, but most trucks don't have it in it in normal fleets. And he will read the owner's manual front to back, which I sometimes really? I'm guilty of not doing. And then, yeah, even if they are in the truck, they're never touched, do they? They're, they're, usually, in condition. The, they're usually in the plastic. It's a bit, it's yeah. a bit, it's a bit daunting to look at the thing as well and go, bloody hell, look at that. But Bob will often explain to me, he's like, did you know that you can do this and you can do this with a truck? And I'm like, no, I didn't actually know that. Because um, with the Scania, you've got the feature on the electronic handbrake. Because if you, pitch, you press the P button, the A button below the P, then all you need to do is hold your foot in the brake for a few seconds, and it'll put the electronic handbrake on automatically. And then when you want to release, you just touch the throttle, and it goes oh, every it's single like a hill time. Hold. Yeah, it's permanent yeah. hill hold, and it's a brilliant yeah. system. I didn't know that. And if, no. if I'm being honest, if you anybody, if you look at all the buttons on the dash of your truck. You, there's probably some on there that you don't know what they do. You're like, mm. Yeah, yeah. Not entirely sure of that. And I suppose you, you, you really should know what everything does. I mean, a lot of it's not important. A lot of trucks have got like legions of switch blanks on them because it's designed for aftermarket switch gear and things. But there, are, there is a lot of stuff that you wouldn't necessarily know know what it is. And every truck has got this individual way of, of driving it. Um, and, the, and the different symbols as well for the same mm-hmm. thing. You get into, as you said, if you're a cab hopper, um, yeah, Bob Beach. It's like him. Uh, he's he probably remind me of the uh, when I first started driving. I said I had that boots contract, and I was how old was I? Um, mm-hmm. Early twenties. And um, uh, this old fella said to me, I was just talking about. I just come back from like West Wales, and he just said, oh, "I've done more miles in reverse than you've done forward, son." And I thought, yeah, that's a that's a good line for uh, someone with experience. Well, Bob's quite unique in that. Well, I mean, he, he does a lot of writing work and he does a lot of stuff with, with the trucks. And he's come from a generation whereby it was all handball and tying things down with dolly knots and tarpaulins. And he's come right through into the modern generation of trucks uh, and also come come on come on the journey with the technology and everything as well. But he's probably the most knowledgeable person I, I could call upon in terms of new trucks. He's just been out for a week with the new DAF XG+. Um, right. I think he's one of the first guys to have one of them out in the road for a week and right now for commercial motor. And he was telling me about a lot of the new features of that, which is a good, they're about to start landing as well. And there's going yes. to be a whole raft of new technology and new systems in those DAFs, which of course DAF need to get that out to people to explain how to go and um, use them to the best, use them to the best of their, their ability. Uh, but of course, and that's see, what's... It'll yeah, be ongoing. It's, it's, they'll get dropped into absolutely. fleets. They'll get dropped into fleets, and maybe one guy 
uh, will get the handover, and then it's a matter of trying to get it passed on. But it not won't necessarily will. You'll get your drivers who are naturally curious about the technology and things, and will work mm. things out for themselves. You'll get guys in the middle who are sort of like, all right, and you get guys at the bottom. And I have found speaking to fleets as well that the guys at the bottom they just can't be bothered they just like leave them alone and they're like you know what we're going to keep going and keep trying to work on the guys at the top end of our sort of fuel sort of productivity scale we'll try and get more out of them because they're more amenable to us and that annoys those guys because they're like leave us alone we're already getting really good results and then you're wanting me to get another half mile per gallon speak to the guy who can't be bothered doing anything at all but th- th- those are I suppose yeah. the most difficult to try and engage with to say you know you, you can get to better at this and it's also it's also not a matter of doing like appalling sort of um slow uh fleet dr- driving it's driving it's driving in the real world as well because you will get certain i've done driver training things with manufacturers whereby they're like what we do here is we leave it in eco mode and it drops down to 48 miles an hour on the hills and then it gently rolls over the other side and then it goes oh, down yeah. here and does that and I'm like, you can't do that in the real world you'll be you'll have absolutely people sitting, right you'll have people sitting right up your ass pissed off with what you're doing because the thing's just gliding about far too slow far too slowly it's a, yeah you need to you need to like use solutions for the, the the real world with it yeah absolutely and you've spent 10, 15 minutes chasing this wagon, you get to the top of the hill and then it cuts down and mm. you're in the middle lane, as you said, you've got someone on your back door and you're thinking, well, I'm pissing everybody off here, including mm. myself. And if you're not taught about it, uh, you know, people um, uh, people do resent it and then they will turn their back on the technology and the driving styles. I, I was following a driver the other day and every time we got to a hill, he would slow right down. Um, and it took me a couple of, it took a couple of goes to realise that he was just using his hill mode as predicted in his truck yeah I think it was uh, Scania. and so well, i was getting halfway alongside him and they're just pulling off and leave me yeah. leave me in the middle lane and i think yeah. you do yeah you do find that you get different patterns with trucks when you watch them out on the road if you're on the motorway you can notice guys who have got the truck running in maximum economy mode um and yeah. then you will find you will like and you're like you'll be constantly getting right up to them and then they will go and yeah. roll away but in some cases, they will be advised to go and do that and say, yes, you're using the truck um, correctly. But I I find that with a maximum, these maximum predictive economy modes where it scrubs off so much speed at the top of the hill, it's not a realistic solution for the real world. But people don't know how to alter it. And it gets really frustrating because they're like, the truck uses, Scania were bad for that. But they're like, it scrubs all the speed at the top of the hill and you need to keep overriding it to keeping your foot in the throttle. Yeah. And it comes down to Scania's got the different modes in the gearbox, which uh, relate back to that. So eco mode will scrub off loads and loads of speed at the top. Standard mode will do a lot less. And that's what I tend to use um, if I'm going to run in predictive, because it'll let it drop to maybe 52, I think, before it kicks in again, which is more realistic. And then you've got power mode. And I can't believe that a lot of Scania's are actually allowed uh, that still have power mode opened up in them because you get guys who literally and this isn't a lie they will drive it in power mode all the time which isn't what it's designed for it's designed to be used temporarily for a short burst it's so aggressive um and i have seen a couple of companies that have locked it out um because it's not designed in any way to be driven sort of full time but you need to it's like in um, driving (laughs) tippers when i've been in these uh i've been in um, a next gen p 
Uh, I've done the 410 XTs, 500 XTs, and you get in a vehicle, and um, this will be controversial, and people will, um, but I've I've proven that um, this is um, this is the way to do it. I have those in eco mode all the time. Mm. Never have them in power mode, never in standard. And what I tend to do is I use eco mode all the time, and I like to do a bit of hill work myself. And especially if I'm not on a dual mm. carriageway or a motorway, then I will pick my points laden or unladen, mm. and I will make sure that I coast over the hill mm. nice and neatly. You get a score and a tick and a well done. Mm. But um, if you know, and people say, well, power mode for on site, no manual mode for on site. I never mm. use power mode on site. Just stick it into manual. You control the gears. If you need to use your cross and diff locks, so be it. And as I said, six months driving, I had a Volvo 540 FH. Luckily, it was a double drive, but I drove the TAG Scania mm-hmm. XTs and I drove the TAG FHs. And then all the Volvo 8x4s and the Scania 8x4s, all of them, mm-hmm. eco mode, into mm-hmm. manual. And then you don't forget about, you know, you, you if you forget you're in power mode, you, you wonder mm-hmm. why it's revving its nuts off. And then you, mm-hmm. you, your site work is, is exemplary and your MPG and your care of the vehicle is um, mm-hmm. up there as well. So uh, it's something that, I mean, yeah. tipper firms, are, as you said, they're, they're tough to get into, but um, it, it needs to change. Um, yeah. and, and, and this is it. You know, the driving style does have to change. Uh, um, because we've, you know, we, there's only a certain amount of fuel left on this planet. Um and things will change, you know, I mean, hydrogen's looking strong now, electric vehicles are um, proving their worth in certain applications, but, you know, diesel's here for a while, and we just need to make sure we make it last as long as possible. Yeah, yeah, I, I, well, yeah, Scania's EcoWood is one of the best ones, because it's not intrusive, certain like economy-orientated software is just really, really sluggish, and the only thing, the only thing that I... With a Scania, is that it drops the speed to the Volvo will do it as well. It'll drop to like forty-eight miles an hour on a hill in the motorway. So I tend to find them like, no, nah, you can't. I can't have that. I've got to override it nah. preempt- yeah. preemptively. But normally, you should be able to just leave it in that mode all the time. You would find with DAF's eco mode, especially with the older trucks, that it was just too sluggish. You would have to keep knocking it out all the time, or you'd get trucks that are on like bulk operations where it had to be removed because it was just so wanting to scrub so much speed on the basis that it was going to save fuel. And I wasn't sure that it would. Um, There's a a science behind new trucks and the gearing in them, uh, which um, means that they've got very long top gears. So a modern truck is maybe sitting at like 1,100 RPM in top, which says to me that it needs to run at 56 miles an hour. If you're artificially reducing them down to 52, 53, it can't hold top properly. And it can't run properly in the eco mode that it's been designed with because it needs to get to that 56 to give it the correct yeah. amount of momentum to roll down the other side. But uh, I don't know, some fleets, you... I, some fleets, I think it must be a false economy, especially anybody who's running like the new turbo compound Volvo, for example. And this is all new stuff that's just come in and it hasn't really been looked at. Uh, I don't think it's been assessed in any great detail. If you've got one of them, it wants to run in a very narrow power band so it wants to run at low revs and it only does its work sort of just over a thousand RPM. So if you go and reduce that down from 56 to 52, which I know a large container fleet like to do and they're running these trucks, it's never ever going yes, to run properly. That. It won't run, it cannot run in 12th gear because it needs to be in that narrow power band. So it, trucks are designed to run at 56 miles an hour. And yes. it's a false economy to drop them down to 52. Maybe it would have I worked in Euro 5. And I think you would be more. I think you would be more productive, and you would have better morale among your drivers if you didn't have them scraped right down to fifty-two miles an hour. I think they would be happier if they could go a little bit faster. Maybe I don't know. 
Do you think? Well, are people the, are people happy to sit at fifty two because they're getting paid by the hour? Because it drives me insane. If I've got if I'm, well, if I'm stuck at fifty four, I don't like it. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, it's um, uh, going back to what you're saying about the gearing on the um, the vehicles, especially those um, those new uh, um, I say Volvos. Uh, a lot of that comes down to the salesman who sells them, because he should be gearing that truck, listening to the customer, and they can make that work. Then they can make the vehicle run at the right speed, the, the engine run at the right the, speed for the speed it's going at. But the salesmen don't know the, the amount of trucks that I've seen, the amount of dafts I've seen go into tipper fleets where they're up and down the gears all day and it's got the long haul diff ratio in it so it's sitting at just over a thousand rpm and i'm like you're yeah. top geared you should have the next diff ratio down so you're sitting at 1200 so it can exactly. hold top a lot more often but they don't the sales teams so often don't it's so normal just to see a standard that's our standard spec tractor unit and that's what you're going to get they don't like going into specifications yeah. and adjusting things a lot of the time to make it best for the hauler and the hauler doesn't necessarily know either I, I do explain to people i'm like your truck spec wrongly and they're like is it and i'm like yeah yeah it's not i don't think it's quite right anyway you need to go back and look at that alternatively look at yeah. an alternative <laughs> But you, you don't like 52 then? Because that's that's interesting, that is. Because um, the first time I ever got in a vehicle that was doing that was a, a Merc Megaspace. Um, uh, and I was off to, where was I going? Um, it was uh, it was when I was living in Oxfordshire. So I left Banbury and I headed up to, uh, I went to um, uh, Burnley and um, mm. Blackburn via Stafford. And mm. um, I got in it and I was it was about half two in the morning and I thought, 52, I can't have this. I can't mm. drive this. This is going to... Do my head in, and I was starting to get cross going up the. Mm. Actually, no, I wasn't from Bambi because I was going up the 34, and I was thinking this is just this is this is wrong. Got onto the M40, and I thought, right, Chilwell Valley Services, I'm pulling over, and I thought, actually, I'm going to leave it. I'll see what, how mm. I feel when I get to Warwick. Just got used to it, and mm. it didn't bother me one bit. And yeah. it's a, the, the savings are good there, and it depends on your application because, as you said, if you're running from Scotland down to into Europe, um, the difference between 56 and 52 is significant. But if yeah, you're a supermarket, you know, I, it's it, the you know, it's it's not if you shave off ten percent of your speed, it's not a ten percent reduction in wind resistance. It's an exponential um, chart where mm. so the increase from fifty-two to fifty-five. Uh, my dad's going to kill me for forgetting this now. Um, there's an equation that shows that there is a, um, a large saving to be made, but it depends on what your work is so mm. i don't mind doing 52 i don't mind doing it i don't think there's any threat yeah. to safety but it, you know it's personal preference to a degree and there's a lot more savings to be gained in other areas uh and and much more significant um rather than your top speed mm. that, that would be fair. a lot of it comes down to my my mentality and the work that i specifically seek out to do as well because when you get down to the midlands and all that there's loads and loads of container trucks bumbling around doing sort of 50 52 because they're not going particularly large distances or running around between Birmingham, London, Bristol and things. And of course, yeah. it's, a, it's a different thing altogether when you're up in Scotland, when you're doing, when you've got hundreds of extra miles to do. Scottish trucks will all tend to be doing 56.9 miles an hour because it makes a substantial difference over the course of the week because of the distance that you're travelling. And I, yeah. I, do, I do have that mentality. I like to be, but I like to be, it's, it's a grind when you're sitting at 54 and people hold you out. It's such a bad habit of drivers, but they don't knock a bit of speed off to let other trucks pass. It drives me insane that people yeah, do that. People do that. You need to knock it back a couple of clicks to let the trucks pass yeah. and let the traffic flow. It's ridiculous. I don't like having a truck sitting alongside me anyway. I want them past me. I don't, something might happen and I don't want them there. Yeah. But, well, this is, um, 
This is this is one of the only areas where I have to do some significant work with a driver. If I'm with a guy and he's had a truck alongside him for a few miles and I do a bit of maths with him and I say, look, knock it down here. And I'm not doing that. I'll never get anywhere. This is not. And you just talk it no. through and, you know, you work out. I say, how long is your truck? Give 50 percent at the front, 50 percent at the back. And then I say, say on this dual carriage, you do that 10 times. How much distance is that? They work it out. And I say, right, at 56 miles an hour, mm-hmm. how long does it take you to travel that distance? And I say, so for all that mm-hmm. time, for those 10 trucks, which you'll never have 10 trucks on a, on a dual carriage or a motorway, I said, you've just lost 30 to 40 seconds. It means nothing. And don't tell me when you're in the car with a missus and two trucks are alongside each other, you're not effing and jeffing at them. And it's well, the guy on the inside because he's mm-hmm. been caught and he will be caught. And that's what you have to understand that it'll keep on happening. And even if you catch this guy, if, you, if you've let him pass, you catch him on the next hill, I stay behind them because mm-hmm. I know that he caught me over the last 10 miles. And even if I go around him, it'll happen all over again. So let him go and you'll never see him again. Yeah, absolutely. So, if, if, you're, if, you've turned, if somebody's turned up on your back door, one where the, in the algorithm of what's going on in the truck, whether he's heavier or lighter than you or whatever, overall, he is travelling faster than you. So just, you know, knock it, back, knock it back a bit and let them pass and let the traffic flow. It's, I just don't, it, it happened a few times. I've just been out um, the last couple of days. I've had that Scania R540. And it's sitting doing, it's a bit slow. It's not doing 56. It's doing sort of 54 and a bit. So it brings me into, if it's doing, if a truck actually does 56, you'll overtake nearly everything. Most trucks don't do 56 yes. miles an hour. They're doing sort yeah. of 54 or 55, probably. Um, but you find yourself, you'll occasionally encounter packs of trucks and you get it with night trunkers that can be quite bad for it. When you get them all in a bunch and there's a mentality that nobody's going to back off at all at any point. You're not going to influence <laughs> the truck anywhere. You're just going to let it sit and run. If it overspeeds and rolls down the hill, then so be it. Nobody's going to let off anything. And I hate sitting in packs of trucks. You've got to wait for a while for them all to kind of unwind and space out a bit but for a while yes, it can, absolutely. I, find, I find it quite horrible it's a bit stressful when you're sitting and everybody's bunched up together because nobody's willing to give an inch and need, uh, you need to kind of get into ease that mentality back whereby you know it's like just back off a bit and let allow a little bit of space but when you're sitting on the motorway all night uh, so many drivers in different different applications will have sort of different um styles of driving and kind of bits of hard wiring like night trunk drivers will drive in a different fashion to tipper drivers to tanker drivers to you know guys that are yeah. doing distribution work everybody's got a different set of parameters that they need to that they drive to and things that they think that they need to sort of match and it's sort of yeah it's getting in there and kind of um, breaking those kind of that that psyche whereas by you know you're not going to you're not going to lose anything over the course of a night, if you're backing off a little bit and letting the other trucks pass. That's exactly right. And, if and you're, yes, you're, yeah, yeah, exactly. You're not losing, losing time. You're not affecting your economy. It is courtesy. It's safety. It's a better mm-hmm. driving style. Um, it's better um, perception of the public because, you know, it, it, trucks are seen as the enemy. Um, everybody wants to get in front of them and everyone has a story about being cut up and people st- not It happens attention. several times a day. Truck drivers prevent thousands upon thousands of potential accidents every day because of their awareness and their skill behind the wheel. The amount of times that somebody cuts in front of a truck or puts their car or their van into a dangerous position close to a truck, whereby they've put themselves in the danger zone and the truck has to react. And if the truck doesn't react, there'll be an accident. And truck drivers are yes, so good correct. at being safe. Yes, and that's, that's something which isn't appreciated enough. But also... No, absolutely yeah, you, not. You, you it's get, like... 
people hate trucks because of, it is primarily because of this overtaking thing and dual carriages where they Correct. sit beside each other for ages. Yeah. And I'll be in the car as well, shouting at the guy and then side going, yeah. pull in, let him pass. Ah! Yeah, I know. And you think, I'll take his reg, I'll get his number. How, how am I driving? I'll bloody tell your boss now. Oh. But, <laughs> to hear a lot and you still do when people say every car driver should spend a day with a lorry driver and i say well that won't happen but just remember that you know what to expect in this and mm -hmm. it is frustrating but and, and that goes to what you said it's brilliant the amount of evasive action lorry drivers will take every day and they don't probably know it you know that they will mm -hmm. watch and see and they get frustrated and and rightly so because they're they're managing the road in front of them according mm -hmm. to the bad yeah, things that yeah, car drivers are doing you get any driver listening to this would probably, but you can predict something coming just by looking at the vehicle. It's like a sixth sense. Don't know what yes, it is. Absolutely. Like. You can look at it and you go, I know what they're going to do here. Yeah, he's going to pull out in front of me at 30 miles an hour. And you know that it's going to happen because it happens so often that you get this, yeah. this, this extra sensory perception. But by, you it's know, the body language, isn't it? Yeah, it's since you think, uh, you're like, oh, I've, I've noticed something that I, I've noticed that people, um, uh, they give lorries a wide berth initially at roundabouts. And I think that's good. And what they do is I've noticed it a lot in the last couple of years where they come alongside you and say it's two or three lanes going round onto a major mm -hmm. roundabout. But they give you the room and then they forget about you once they've gone past you. And then they cut across the white line in front of you. Mm -hmm. so, even the the worst bit that they um, should be considering, um, they've mm -hmm. you know they, it's almost as if they get fifty percent of it right and then they take the racing line, yeah, and they don't realise that it's the it's you've got to continue on the outer side of your lane to allow room for the wagon. Happens so much, and I think how on earth I didn't hit that because they've gone hard left. But how do you educate that? You don't. It's the driver. You can't. You can't. You're, you're never going to educate cab drivers. It comes down to everything lands on the driver. And of course, we've now got these ludicrous new highway code rules as well, oh. whereby anybody on a bicycle, a vulnerable road user, is allowed to shoot down the inside of you on the left-hand side. Now, if you're in a truck, if you're turning at a T-junction, say, for example, so you need to occupy the opposite side of the road to get the swing in the trailer to bring that round safely. Yeah. If you're way over to the right to come back over left, by law, somebody's allowed to shoot down there at 20 miles an hour on a bicycle. And as you come round, if they slam into the side of you, in the eyes of the law, that's your fault. When it is up, it's, and that I think that, that there's a certain type of, I never, ever want to tar anybody with the same brush. There's a lot of great cyclists out there. There's a lot of people who are cyclists and lorry drivers as well. There's guys that are cyclists yeah, and car yeah. drivers. But there's a certain amount of, and there's a certain there's a certain amount of militant cyclists who think that they're in the right for anything. And they are now, they've now been given basically the go ahead to go and do what they want. Uh, they they yes, can say, correct. I can do this with impunity. So there's more and more uh, getting landed on top of the driver. So you need to be so aware of what's going on. You need to be, yeah. you need to be able to use your camera systems properly. If you've got them, you need to have your mirrors set up right, which is an interesting thing. Now that just, I've just thought about that now. How many times that I get in a truck, and I look at the mirrors and I'm like, what the hell is this guy looking at? People must get, <laughs> yes, people yeah, must get that as well. You're like, what the And I'm trying to move the seat about and thinking, is he really tall? Is he really short? At what point is this the correct view? And the mirrors, I tend to find the main ones are tilted very high up the way. And the inner ones yeah. are looking right down the seat. I'm like, people haven't got their mirrors set up properly, which is something that's... No, 
you should be able to get an amazing field of vision of modern mirrors, especially with Euro 6. I know that mirror cam has come in, and I think mirror cam is never going to be as good as a set of proper mirrors at this point because you can't, when you bog your head about, you increase the field of vision. So you can go and move your head and you can see the Absolutely, top of your trailer. Yeah. So I'm not convinced about it yet, but modern mirror, the old mirrors like Euro 5 MANs, terrible blind spot on the mirror, but the new ones, Vol the new Scania, new Volvo mirrors are amazing. Um, and you need to have them set you need to have them set up properly to deal with all the, yeah. the nonsense the nonsense that's on, that's on the road. And you know, truck drivers should be commended for how well they do every single day with the amount of stuff that they've got to got to yeah. deal with. You know, it's, uh... well, this 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 cycle lobby is so strong, and it is it's terrifying what they're able to do. And I know I've got friends who are cyclists, and they do a lot of road cycling, and they say, and they they say it's just it's so frustrating watching the wankers ruin it for us. And he said, mm. you know, we're cycling along. And you just see these people um, who are just not considerate of the cars, of the motorbikes, of the trucks. Um, but something I used to say, and um, uh, when I'm with drivers, especially um, uh, when I did quite a bit of work for Scania, I took new passes out because um, uh, Tesco did that um, wheels to warehouse, warehouse to wheels project. Mm -hmm. And we'd take them out. And I say to them, if you're coming up to a junction or you're going through a town centre, crack the window open and I do it. It doesn't matter the weather because you often hear something before you see it and it always helps. And that, now you've got this, these um, windows indoors. So the PCAB Scanias and FM Volvos, you couldn't open mm -hmm. the passenger window because you've got a window in the door. Mm -hmm. They're slightly changing that now because they're getting those sliding windows, aren't they? That you can right. slide forward. Um, so that's solving it. But I think that's a big part of driving in a city centre or a town centre is I always crack the passenger window open because the reason why I do it is every now and then I'll be with somebody training and then you'll be sat, you, they'll be sat at a set of lights and then waiting all of a sudden will be a, um, a family. And, mm -hmm. you know, you'll hear them. They're not going to step out. You're not going to kill them. There's no risk. But it's the potential and it's the fact that you've heard this child talking and you're aware mm -hmm. that there are children there. And you just it's another sense that helps. But... There's so much to look out for now. And this, I mean, there are, um, and I think it's, um, uh, I was told to somebody, it's eight or 10 serious um, ways that a cyclist can be injured by an HGV. And only two of them are down to the um, uh, HGV driver. It's been proven. And this has been proven. Um, and I need to find that report because it was very, very interesting. And it was covered once by somebody um, uh, doing a CPC course. Um, yet, everything isn't loaded onto the driver. And the one that is causes the most fatal accidents is going straight on at a left-hand turn. But mm. instead of um, analysing the data and looking at um, educating people, just mm. it's, it's all been lo loaded onto the lorry driver. It's easier, it's simpler. And as you said, the, um, um, you know, the militant element of the cycle lobby um, have the government's ear, unfortunately. And uh, I don't know what we can do about it, apart from just try not to run them over. Your um, business, anybody wants to get in touch to go and do, so, to do some um, training to regards to getting the best out of vehicles and things, how do they get in touch with you? Right. Um, it's either uh, inquiries at sclaytonhgv.co.uk. Um, my website is www.sclaytonhgv.co.uk. All my contact details are on there. Um, either get, uh, There's a contact me part of the form uh, part of the website or um, through email through um, or give me a call 
Um, I'm taking bookings, but um, uh, I'd love to speak to somebody uh, with regards to their fleet. We can sit down. I'll come and visit them. We'll go through all of the um, uh, products that they have and their drivers. Some people only want a few drivers done. I'm going to be doing a tipper firm soon, and he's got two guys that are, he said, fantastic drivers, but you know, significantly lower than the rest of his team. Um, uh, I'll get those two in. But what tends to happen is I get the rest of the fleet then because the drivers tend to really enjoy the fact that they've been invested in, that they know what they're doing. So that's the yeah. way to do it is, yeah, through a website, give us a call. Um, and um, I what will... Uh, you're, now you're, on, you're on social media as well. Yes, I am. Yes, uh, I'm I'm on LinkedIn. Um, and that's, um, yeah, you can find me as uh, is Sam Clayton, um, S Clayton HGV. And I'm also... Um, S Clayton HGV as well on uh, Instagram and for all those that are interested in a bit of um, healthy eating whilst driving um, I do a thing called Cab Canteen on Instagram which um, it hasn't got too many posts but it gives an idea of stuff that I've cooked when I've been tramping to keep yourself healthy so instead of eating rubbish food that doesn't fill you up cost a fortune is bad for you you that get the me. opposite. Totty. <laughs> Is it? <laughs> I was, um, yeah. Well, when I, I was out the other day, I had a, I had a Rustler's um, burger um, for dinner the other night when I was waiting, and then I had to wait to tip the trailer at Aldi, so I was right round to McDonald's at Heartlands for my breakfast. That about sums me well, you up. Can't, you can't beat a McDonald's. I had one yeah. yesterday for lunch. <laughs> no, yeah. no, you can't. Central right. journey in the wind. If I, can, if I can get a lorry anywhere near a McDonald's, I'm going into it, you know, I have to say sorry. But, uh, <laughs> no, it's, oh, no, I, listen, um, uh, you've got to treat yourself. When I'm tipping somewhere and you can just have an extra 10 minutes and there's a McDonald's nearby, I'm in. Breakfast or dinner, it doesn't matter. Yeah, but uh, yeah, on social media, have a look. It's got reports of what I've done, who I've trained, what I do when I'm not training, because I think it's a phrase used when I'm That's not good. learning. I'm a, learning. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's good, it's good that as well. I think it makes it makes an enormous difference in transport with drivers. And I found this with myself, with journalism and things as well, that people, when I'm like, you know, I've uh, when I go and meet people and talk to people, I'm like, well, I am a driver. This is what I do. You know, I'm doing the same yes. things that you do. I'm not somebody who sits behind a desk. Well, I am sometimes, unfortunately. The less I do that, the better. I would rather do it driving and doing things. That's what I enjoy. But, you know, it makes yeah. all the difference because you have that, you've got that experience and then therefore you have that credibility. So, you know, I'm actually out driving. I'm doing this for real. I'm not somebody who's coming here with my laptop to go and tell you you're an arse. You know, that's Absolutely. that makes all the, when I, all the difference in the world. To it things. does. When I um, used to um, work for Scania a couple of years ago, um, they used to have me in um, uh, suit trousers, shoes, white shirt and a jacket uh, and they think so it took the first 10 minutes for them just drop a few little stories to them and then they think oh right he knows what he's talking about he's not some book clever bird <laughs> who has, has learned about it on the internet so yeah it is I, I won't tell anyone to do something i can't do myself i've had that mantra for a long time and it's it, it, yes you're right it's um uh, you've got to have credibility being in the passenger seat otherwise there's no point doing it mm -hmm. Cool. Well, that's fantastic. I've enjoyed that. That's been uh, that's been good. We're just coming up to yeah, an, an hour now, so that's perfect. Um, yeah. Cool. I uh, so I've got some stuff now coming up in the May issue of Trucking Driver. I've got an article from Sam, which is uh, due to be published. Um, so look out for that. And I say, give him a follow on social media. Um, if you if you, you know how to contact him now, if you're looking to um, make some uh, efficiency savings and get the best out of your fleet, because obviously it doesn't come just down to fuel as well. It comes down to wear and tear on the vehicle. You're going to save on tires and brakes and all all those other components in the vehicle as well if you're using it in the way that the man, if you're optimising the use of the vehicle. So thank yeah. you very much, Sam. Um, I shall My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
Well, we shall keep in touch with you and we'll have you back on again um, in, in due course. See how you're getting on. Great stuff. Thanks, Dougie. Have a good weekend. Cool. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Truck and Driver podcast. Please subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. To keep up to date with the latest news, 100% for drivers, visit truckanddriver.co.uk, where you can also subscribe to the print edition of Truck and Driver magazine, which publishes on the last Friday of every month. The Truck and Driver podcast is produced by Sound Rebel. To find out more, please visit soundrebel.co.uk.